Hey true crime fans, welcome back to Murder on the Map. I'm your host Taylor, and each week on my show, I take you through bizarre, cold, or underreported cases from each U.S. state one by one. This week's episode is out of Darden, Tennessee, and it's the story of the abduction and murder of Holly Bobo. We'll get into the story right after the break. Before we get started, I just want to put a trigger warning that there is mentions of aggravated kidnapping and rape in this episode. I try to be as uh, trigger warning friendly as possible, but there is definitely some gnarly stuff in this episode. So if any of that is upsetting for you, you may want to go ahead and skip this episode. I'll totally understand. On April 13, 2011, in Darden, Tennessee, 20-year-old nursing student Holly Bobo woke up at 4.30 a.m. to study for an exam she had later that morning. Holly's mom, Karen, woke up a bit later and got her a muffin before packing a lunch for Holly to take to school with her. Karen then left for work at the local elementary school where she taught. Around 7.30 a.m., Holly's boyfriend, Drew, called to check in. He was hunting turkeys on her grandmother's property nearby. From there, Holly got ready for school as she usually did on Wednesdays and walked out to the garage around 8 a.m. What happened next would remain a mystery for almost six years. Holly's 25-year-old brother Clint was startled awake by the family's dog barking. He peered through his blinds and saw a man dressed in camouflage talking to Holly. He assumed it was her boyfriend Drew. They appeared to be having an argument and possibly breaking up. He couldn't hear what was being said, but it looked like Holly was saying no and why. He decided to mind his own business and stay out of it. At this same time, a neighbor heard screams and called Holly's mother at work. Clint got a call from his mother who asked him to check on Holly. He told her he saw Holly walking towards the woods with Drew behind their home. Karen tells Clint that wasn't Drew and to get a gun and shoot the man immediately. Confused, Clint asks, you want me to shoot Drew? But before he got an answer, Karen hung up and called 911. Clint went outside and saw blood in their driveway. A neighbor pulled up and told them that they heard screaming, which prompted Clint to call 911 as well. A friend from work drove Karen home and she immediately saw the blood. She ran to the woods and started yelling for Holly, but there was no sign of her. She grabbed Clint and shook him, screaming, why didn't you do something? The clip I'm about to play for you is a 2020 interview with Elizabeth Vargas. It has interviews with Holly's parents, brother, and the harrowing 911 call. A patchwork of dense woods and hardscrabble farms sewn to the west bank of the Tennessee River. This is Decatur County, Tennessee. ATVs, horses, and hunting. It's where Karen and Dana Bobo live. 
in a home they built with their own hands, with their 25-year-old son, Clint, and his younger sister, 20-year-old Holly. Holly was pretty much my mother's girl. We shared a bond that she would sometimes look at me and say, that's scary because we could finish each other's sentences. Whitney Duncan, a country music singer, is Holly's cousin. She had a beautiful voice, so I would kind of help coach her a little bit on that. And it was a special time for Holly. She had recently received a promise ring from her boyfriend, Drew Scott. And I remember, you know, her showing me and just being so excited about the future, and she really was planning their, their life together. The last day of her life was a Wednesday, a perfectly ordinary April morning in 2011. Too early for trouble. The sun climbing the trees, chasing off the mist. The Bobo family is rising too. Holly, a nursing student, is up by 4.30 that morning studying for her test that day. Karen packs Holly's lunch and then she's off to teach second grade at Scotts Hill Elementary. Did you say goodbye before you left? She was sitting at the kitchen table studying, and I kissed her goodbye and told her I loved her, just like every other morning. Holly gathers her lunch and homework and walks out to get into her Mustang in the carport. At about 7.40, Holly's older brother, Clint, is asleep in his bedroom. The house is quiet until the scream. Around 7.40 that morning, a neighbor was getting ready to go to work and was outside, and he heard a scream from next door. Holly screaming, stop, stop, stop it. Her brother Clint doesn't hear Holly screaming. He wakes up to the family dog barking. So I decided to get up, you know, to see what he was barking at. Clint hears voices in the carport behind the house. I listened just briefly, and I could tell it was a male and a female voice. I never was able to really tell what they were saying. You couldn't tell if they were shouting, if they were arguing? Well, as I listened a little bit closer, uh, I could tell that that was Holly's voice. So I knew it was Holly. So in my mind, the male's voice I knew to be Drew, you know, who is her boyfriend. Through the blinds, he spies the strangest thing, two figures in the shadows of the garage. Holly was knelt down in the garage, and a man in camouflage who I identified as Drew were knelt down in the garage facing each other. Unsure of what's going on and wary of walking into the middle of a quarrel between Holly and her boyfriend, Clint calls his mother. And he asked me, was Holly not going to school today? Was she going home with Drew? And I said, that's not Drew. Karen Bobo knows Holly's boyfriend is elsewhere that morning, turkey hunting. So I instantly knew something was wrong. I could see them. Where were they? They were walking towards the woods, and there's a trail that leads you to a logging road. Was your sister walking unaided on her own? Yeah, she was walking on her own. She wasn't dragging her? Oh, no, no. So when Clint told you on the phone, Holly and Drew just walked off into the woods. I said, that's not Drew. Get a gun and shoot him. And Clint said, you want me to shoot Drew? And I think that's when I hung up and called 911. 911, what's your emergency? I am in a full-fledged panic by then. Somebody has my daughter. Please get there now. Police rush to the house on Swan Johnson Road, followed closely by Dana and Karen Bobo. I ran through the woods, calling her name. In the garage, there's evidence of a struggle, a puddle of blood later confirmed to be Holly's. 
Holly's nursing school classmate, Suzanne Pratt, knew something was wrong when Holly didn't show up for their test. We waited for just a little while because she wasn't there and no one knew where she was. Then the instructor broke the news. She announced that something terrible had happened. Soon, half the county, people, police, and search dogs overrun the Bobo property. Get it ready to go out into the woods, okay? You had neighbors, friends, family, all of Decatur County just kind of poured into this family's front yard, and they're out in the woods looking for her. You know, cops everywhere, helicopters flying. It was already uh, crazy. Holly's dad tells reporters he suspects the man who took Holly had to be familiar with the area, familiar with her habits. It might have been somebody close, somebody that kind of knew our routine or when I left, when she left, and when my daughter left to go to school. Do you see anything that is not right? Tennessee, the volunteer state, lives up to its name. Day after day, friends, neighbors, and strangers continue searching for Holly. The urgent search for a young woman gone missing. Holly, I love you so much. <laughs> please, please try to get home to us. We've been searching uh, all day and pretty well into the night. Police ask AT&T to track Holly's cell phone. What could you tell from Holly's cell phone that morning? Essentially, for an hour and a half, her cell phone traveled all through Decatur County. The beating electric pulse of Holly's phone travels north to this wooded area near Interstate 40, and then turns back south by another route. At any point, does the cell phone stop moving? Around 8.30 to 9 o'clock that morning, her cell phone stopped moving for about, about 20 to 30 minutes. And what do you think was happening at that point? I, I don't want to think about it. For several days, the house is a crime scene. Eventually, the Bobos are allowed to return home. I remember the, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was go to her room and open her closet and smell her. Karen Bobo longs for the touch of her daughter's hand. When Holly was at home, you know, she'd be asleep. Her hand would be kind of folded like this, and I would just slip my hand in her hand for just a few seconds. And I remember doing that after trying to feel her, thinking if I could just feel her hand in my hand. Investigators follow every lead. Disheartening evidence of Holly begins turning up. Homework, a notebook, that lunch her mother made, and Holly's phone, all found scattered along backcountry roads in the weeks after the abduction. I wondered if she maybe had a chance to throw out some things, or if it was just some kind of taunting. The strange abduction, the apparent signs of familiarity with the victim, and the trail of evidence lead police to think the suspect was close, perhaps even inside the house. There were a lot of people that felt Clint was lying. Holly's own brother. What does he know? Have you told everything you know about that morning? Hi everyone, George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching.
There was no Amber Alert issued for Holly because of her age. At 20 years old, Holly didn't meet the criteria of being under the age of 18. It was initially believed that Holly may have been taken during what was meant to be a home invasion, but the suspect never made it inside. Two days after the abduction, eight miles from the Bobo home, searchers made a grim discovery. Holly's lunchbox and other personal belongings of hers were found in a creek. There were no suspects at this time, but both Clint and Drew were cleared by the police. A $25,000 reward is offered for any information that led to Holly's safe return. At a press conference, John Mayer, a spokesperson for the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, said investigators did not see drag marks leading towards the woods, which led them to believe that Holly complied with her attacker and walked into the woods. He said, we believe he actually had her by the arm holding her. We feel she was in fear for her life, so she was complying. As the search continued on April 16, 2011, investigators described Holly's abductor as between 5 foot 10 and 6 feet tall, weighing between 180 to 200 pounds. On Monday, April 17, Bill Haslam, the governor of Tennessee, tripled the reward for information leading to Holly's safe return, making the total $75,000. At this point, police had received 250 leads, but still didn't have a person of interest. They asked the public to report any suspicious behavior, such as a person calling in sick to work over the past week, someone excessively cleaning a car or ATV, or unexpectedly selling a vehicle. Police continued interviewing neighbors and boats searched the local waterways while volunteers covered the Natchez Trace, a national hiking trail. More than 900 people were involved in the search for Holly at this point. Besides the items found in the creek, police were analyzing the blood found in the garage along with the duct tape that had blonde hair stuck to it that was found on the ground nearby. Police also seemed to backtrack on their statement about Clint and Drew being cleared by saying that they hadn't ruled out anyone as a suspect yet. At this point, people were getting generally suspicious of Holly's brother Clint, since he basically watched her get abducted and did nothing. The search continued slowly through April since volunteers had searched every part of Decatur County, including waterways. Police later published a list of potential suspects that I'll talk through here. A registered sex offender in the area named Terry Britt was looked at as a suspect. He had a history of stalking and raping women. His home was wiretapped and searched during the investigation, but he had an alibi and police couldn't find any evidence against him. In January 2012, a man named Tony Calabrese and his roommate had their Ohio apartment searched by the TBI and the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation. A computer was seized along with other belongings. Tony wasn't a suspect in Holly's disappearance. He was actually being investigated for hindering the investigation by soliciting leads and portraying himself as the leader of a search and rescue team. He even set up a website featuring photos of Holly to solicit leads and claimed to pass them to law enforcement. The TBI said he was drawing attention away from their investigation. Tony never traveled to Tennessee to help search for Holly, but claimed to have dispatched others to do so. In February 2012, 10 months after Holly had disappeared, the TBI offered $85,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person responsible for Holly's abduction. This is on top of the reward raised by the community, which had now amounted to $250,000 for Holly's safe return. 
The clip I'm about to play for you is an updated interview with volunteers, the TBI, and other information about the increased reward. It's been one week since nursing student Holly Bobo vanished near her home in Tennessee. Yesterday, police set up five separate roadblocks in Decatur County, stopping cars and asking people if they've seen anything suspicious last week. That's when Holly's brother says that he saw his sister being led into the woods right behind their house by a man wearing camouflage. Hundreds of volunteers have been battling rough weather and searching the area all week. Some don't even know Holly. I'm looking for Miss Holly Bobo. You know her very well? Not at all. What brought you out here? I have a two-year-old daughter, and if she was missing, I'd want everybody on this earth looking for her. Doesn't matter if it's miserable or not. I don't care if it was storming, if it was hailing, if it was snowing. We're still going to look for Holly Bobo. Joining us now is Christopher Voss. He's a former FBI special agent and hostage negotiator, currently managing director at Insight Security. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning, Allison. Thank so, you for having me. Uh, it's it's a, a pleasure to have you here. We understand that authorities today are also searching underwater. There are apparently a lot of lakes and ponds in Holly's hometown there in rural Tennessee. Is this standard operating procedure, or does this mean that authorities have been led to a lake or a pond for some reason? Well, they're being as thorough as they possibly can. This, this type of a crime uh, has all the earmarks of being extremely well thought out. Uh, calculated, organized by the individual that perpetrated it, they have to realize how many different possibilities they are, and they don't want to miss any clues, so they're being as thorough as they possibly can. What makes you think it was extremely well thought out? Well, uh, someone familiar with the area probably had uh, the idea of this in mind quite a long time ago and been fantasizing about this type of thing. It's, it's very frightening when you think about the type of predator that commits this kind of an act. But they'd been fantasizing about it, thinking and planning it for a very long time. It doesn't bear the earmarks of uh, what's sometimes known as a Blitzkrieg abduction. It looks like something that was meticulously thought out. Does that tell you that this is someone who knew Holly and her family, or was this a, a stalker? Well, um, the degree to which the perpetrator knows the family, it's a little tough to say. It, and it's very hard to rule anyone in or out. It could be someone that knew her very well. It could be someone that only lived in the area and had been watching her. It's a little early to tell exactly who that perpetrator might be. Yeah, of course. Well, speaking of the area and of residents around there, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation yesterday went apparently door-to-door, -door, canvassing her neighborhood and talking to members of this, what is described as a very close-knit community. But that was six days after she disappeared. Why then? Well, they are applying their resources in a, in a deliberate fashion. The first thing you're going to want to try to do is go out there and hopefully, if there's a possibility that she's still alive, try to find the trail to, to locate her if she's being held alive. And they went after what they saw as the highest priority. Then they move on to other avenues of investigation immediately afterwards. Mm. Investigators also say that now they're looking for someone who may be showing signs of stress. Maybe that is the culprit. What would that look like to the average person? Well, um, it, it'd be something that would be very easy to write off and something that the perpetrator would have excuses for. But they realize at this point in time now there's a very good chance that the perpetrator is still around and feels the presence of the investigation. And, and they expect that that to manifest itself in whether or not the person won't meet someone's eyes, 
um, whether or not they want to talk. There's a very good chance that this perpetrator doesn't talk to people a lot anyway, so the stress is going to be very subtle signs. Mm, Any see. sort of change in normal behavior is really what they're looking for. All right, we should also let the viewers know that today authorities have increased the reward money uh, for anyone with any information as to Holly's whereabouts. It's now up to $80,000. If you have any information, please call this number on your screen. It's one 800 824 3463. You can make a difference in this case. Christopher Voss, thanks so much for coming in with your expertise. Thank you very much, Allison. From here, not much happens until there is finally a break in the case in February of 2014, almost three years since Holly was last seen. On February 28, 2014, 15 miles from Holly's home, a residence at 235 Adams Lane in Decatur County was swarmed by the TBI. This is where 29-year-old Zach Adams lived. Neighbors told reporters that Zach's truck and his mother's PT Cruiser were being searched. Decatur County authorities arrested Zach on unrelated assault charges stemming from a February 6th incident where he held a gun to his girlfriend's sister's head and threatened to gut her. On top of that, Zach had just bonded out of jail after being arrested in another county on drug charges. Zach had an extensive criminal history. In 2002, when he was 18 years old, he was arrested for drug possession and driving infractions. In 2004, he was arrested for dr aggravated domestic assault after shooting his mom in the knee with a 9mm. He pled guilty and was sentenced to 11 months and 29 days in jail. Six months of that sentence was suspended, and he was ordered to go to rehab. In 2005, he was arrested for threatening to shoot his grandparents with a shotgun. In 2007, he was arrested for theft of property and tested positive for marijuana and methamphetamine. On April 4, 2011, nine days before Holly disappeared, Rangers in Natchez Chase State Park arrested him on charges of fabricating, tampering with evidence, assault on an officer, drug possession, and resisting arrest. In June 2011, he was arrested for driving with a revoked suspended license in Decatur County. On December 14, 2011, Zach posted a picture of himself wearing camo in the woods with the caption, Who am I looking for? seemingly mocking the search for Holly. The search of the Adams property lasted for several days. Shovels, metal probes, and an excavator was used to search the grounds with cadaver dogs and underwater cameras. Danielle Darnell, who lives in the area, says she and Holly's mother saw three men acting strangely one week before Holly disappeared. She said she had known Zach her whole life and that he and two of his friends were following Holly at a coon hunt dinner. She said, Holly was on the stage walking around the coon hunt. They basically stalked her for a little bit. Holly's friend Candace Wood said that she was also at the coon hunt with Holly on April 9, 2011. She remembers a man with a heavy build wearing camouflage staring at them frequently. He was on the phone and would look down whenever she caught him looking. With Candace's help, police drew a sketch of the man who Candace would later realize was Shane Austin. On March 4, 2014, after searching Zach's home, evidence was presented to a special grand jury. Investigators collected evidence from several locations over the weekend. After a two-hour deliberation behind closed doors, the jury indicted the 29-year-old for especially aggravated kidnapping and felony first-degree murder. 
Investigators would not say what evidence was presented to the jury, nor would they comment on the status of Holly Bobo's remains. The next day, Zach Adams' indictment was made public by the TBI at a press conference. A law enforcement official at the press conference said, We believe we can prove she was taken forcefully from her home without consent. We also feel she was killed in preparation with the kidnapping. This we have a charge of felony murder. Authorities did not rule out making other arrests and did not reveal if Holly's remains were found at that time. Not shockingly, Zach pled not guilty to the kidnapping and murder of Holly, but another charge was added, witness coercion. Witness coercion is when threats, intimidation, or some other force are used to pressure a witness to testify falsely, withhold information, or elude the judicial process, and is considered a felony. Zach threatened his brother, Dylan, who was serving time in prison for federal firearms charges at the time. According to the TBI, Zach tried to pass a message from his Chester County jail cell to his brother's jail cell in Oban County. Zach told a fellow inmate who he believed was being transferred to Obion to pass his message along. Instead, the inmate told investigators. The message was, tell my brother he is the one who started all this shit, and if he don't shut his mouth, he will be in the hole beside her. In response to the new charges, Mark Gwynn, the director of the TBI, said, We will not tolerate any kind of coercion in criminal cases, but in a case like this, which has attracted so much interest and required so many resources, rest assured we will fight hard to protect the integrity of our work as we seek justice for the family and friends of Holly Bobo. When Dylan was arrested in September 2013, he told police he witnessed Holly alive with his brother at Zach's home following her abduction. An affidavit for a search warrant states that Dylan told authorities that on April 13, 2011, he went to Zach's residence to get his truck. Dylan said he observed Holly Lynn Bobo sitting in a green chair in the living room wearing a pink t-shirt with Jason Autry standing just a few feet away. He also told police that Zach was wearing camouflage shorts, a black cut-off sleeve t-shirt, and a pair of green Crocs. He said Zach told him he raped Holly and videotaped it. The alleged videotape has never been found, and Dylan eventually recants his confession, saying he is coerced by investigators, but his confession is what led to the arrest of Zach Adams and their friends Jason Autry and Shane Austin. On September 7, 2014, Holly's partial remains were found by ginseng hunters in a wooded area of northern Decatur County, Tennessee, just off I-40, nearly 20 miles from Darden and less than 6 miles from Zach Adams' property. The owner of the property said it wasn't uncommon for people to hunt there without permission. Larry Stone, one of the men who found the remains, said he saw a large bucket in the woods. He looked inside and whatever he saw gave him cold chills, but he never would say what was in the bucket. He then turned around and spotted Holly remains spread on the ground beside him. All that was recovered was her skull, including her jaw, teeth, several ribs, and one shoulder blade. The following is a clip of Larry speaking with News Channel 5. In his own words, and for the very first time, we are hearing from the man who found Holly Bobo's remains. 
Larry Stone was actually out hunting the woods for the herb ginseng when he made that gruesome discovery. He spoke exclusively with our Chris Conti. And Chris, he's frustrated by how slowly this is going in court. Yeah, he is incredibly frustrated, Vicki, with how this has been proceeding lately. Photojournalist Angie Dones and myself actually met Larry last year, the day after he found Holly's remains. At the time, he was too emotional and too scared to speak publicly. But tonight, in an exclusive interview, the man who accidentally broke this case wide open is staying silent. No more. It consumed everybody. It's all, all anybody talked about. This was the first paper that after the disappearance. If Crystal Osier had a choice. That stuff doesn't happen here. Then these headlines tucked away in the corner of a Lexington library wouldn't be here. As the searching, the questions, the prayers continue on the sixth day following the mysterious April 13th disappearing of the 20-year-old Holly Bobo from her rural Decatur County home. This county. There's not a day that goes by that you don't think about it. These people. Volunteers prove relentless during Holly Bobo's search. That girl never chose any of this. So for this to happen um, in our own backyard, it was, it was scary. It says here an estimated 1,200 showed up to search. They searched by ground, they searched by air, and they searched within themselves. I'm gonna let it shine. We were looking for somebody that we weren't sure if we were ever gonna find. Until one day, last September, and the seemingly interminable road to finding Holly led here. You'll kind of walk and look. Serendipity is a word often pinned on someone who finds something they aren't looking for. And we'd walk right down this ridge right here. But by his own admission. And ginseng sort of looks like he's baby hickory trees. Larry Stone will tell you any time he was ginseng hunting these past four years, he wasn't just looking for a plant. You're almost the perfect person to be searching for her. Well, 90% of the people that find people are hunters. He knew about this spot off County Corner Road because his father poured the concrete for the cell tower 30 years ago. Well, I can show you the exact path I took. Larry was right around here last September when he found a bucket. I was facing the ravine this way, and it was like somebody, hey, turn around, here I am. He turned around and then found something that would change this case forever. You're standing there looking at remains that you know belongs to somebody that was loved, and you're sitting there looking at the ground, and you're seeing your daughter laying there in her face. It hits home. The TBI would later confirm what Larry felt in his heart. Those remains were Holly Bobos. Do you think Holly would still be out here if you hadn't found her? Oh, I know she, I believe she would have. I don't think, I don't think they'd ever found her. They was trying to hide her best they could. For eight months, he stayed silent. But after watching various aspects of the case against Zach Adams and Jason Autry essentially be fumbled in court, silence, he says, is no longer an option. To these defense attorneys that are saying, we haven't seen evidence that Holly's skull was found, you say what? It's been found. You finding her helps the case exponentially. Well, nobody, no case. And that's what these men had planned. Nobody, no case. If those dental records are in fact correct, Larry will always be the man who found Holly Bobo kind of set up a little remorse for Holly and to show the family that I cared. He may look like a tough country guy. Holly's favorite colors, pink and green. But he has the tender heart of a dad 
I just want to say to the bubbles that I'm sorry for the loss. That all got shattered because of these men. And so much like Holly herself, Larry is now a part of this story in which choice is no longer a part of the equation. We want justice for Holly. If there is a trial, it will be safe to assume that Larry will be called to testify. He did find something in that bucket near Holly's body, but Vicki authorities have asked him not to discuss what that is. All right, thanks, Chris. Yep. The three main suspects in this case, Zach Adams, Jason Autry, and Dylan Adams, are due back in court on June 6th. Ultimately, six men were arrested in connection with Holly's disappearance. After Zach was arrested, his brother Dylan and their friends Shane and Jason were also charged. Dylan Adams Dylan was charged by the TBI with tampering with evidence. The warrant for his arrest said, quote, On September 17, 2014, this agent heard Dylan Adams tell another agent with the TBI that on April 13, 2011, Dylan Adams disposed of items he knew possessed evidence relating to Holly Bobo. End quote. Jason Autry. On August 29, 2014, 39-year-old Jason Autry, who is already in jail serving three-year sentence for aggravated assault, was indicted on aggravated kidnapping and murder charges. TBI Director Mark Gwynn said, We have sworn statements from witnesses that saw Holly in the presence of Autry and Adams. He also said they obtained physical evidence that was being analyzed. The next day, Jason pled not guilty to those charges. In July 2017, Jason would be granted federal immunity along with Victor Dinsmore and a man named Michael Alexander in relation to the death of Holly in exchange for their testimonies against Zach at trial. Shane Austin Shane wasn't actually arrested, but he was thought to be involved. He was initially offered immunity in exchange for information regarding the location of Holly's remains. Phone records indicated that Shane spoke with Zach several times during the day that Holly was abducted, and police believed that he helped dispose of her body. The agreement was withdrawn when investigators believed he wasn't being truthful. Nothing else came from this because on February 27, 2015, he took his own life by hanging himself in a Bartow, Florida hotel room. Mark and Jeffrey Piercy On May 29, 2014, Brothers Mark and Jeffrey Piercy, who are 38 and 42 years old, were charged with tampering with evidence and accessory after the fact. They were arrested based on allegations made by Jeff's former roommate, Sandra King, who alleged that in May 2014, Jeff showed her part of a video showing Zach assaulting Holly, who was tied up and crying. She said she watched only a small clip and didn't see the sexual assault. Police arranged for Sandra to make a recorded call to Jeff where she told him over the phone, That video of Holly, if it had been you, I would have watched it. To which he replied, I know. Sandra alleged that Mark was the one who shot the video. During the trial, Sandra testified that she had asked to see the video, which was on a cell phone, and that she was able to identify Holly and Zach through photos she had seen of them in the news. She said that when Jeff showed her the video, he called Zach a sick bastard. Both brothers denied that a video existed. Jeff claimed that he was unable to hear Sandra during the phone conversation and that his ex-wife's name was also Holly, so he was confused. 
Police have analyzed over 20 phones but have not found the video. Charges against both men were dropped. Zach Adams went to trial and after nine days of court appearances and 11 hours of jury deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty on all charges against Zach Adams in the kidnapping, rape, and murder of Holly. The charges are first degree murder, aggravated kidnapping, especially aggravated kidnapping with injuries, first degree murder rape, aggravated rape by force with a weapon, aggravated rape with bodily injury, aggravated rape by force by one or more persons, and first degree murder premeditated. Zach sat trembling with a pale face. He was told not to react by his attorney. Mark Gwynn, the director of the TBI, called it a good day for justice in the state of Tennessee and that he hated it took six years to reach it. The defense and prosecution came to an agreement to sentence Zach to life without parole plus 50 years. They made the agreement before the decision of whether to sentence Zach to life or give him the death penalty went to jury. Even though his charges were agreed upon, Holly's mother took to the stand to give her victim impact statement in the clip you'll hear now. Okay, first of all, I would just like to say that I do 100% believe that God blessed us with the best prosecuting team that we could ever ask for. The right decision was made by the jury on the guilty verdict on all counts. We have been through six and a half long, hard years, and I would like to thank all the people who have walked every step of the way with us. Finally, after six and a half years, I do feel that we got justice for our daughter. Thank you. Can you just talk about why it was important for you to take the stand today? My daughter, of course, is not here to speak for herself. So today, I am her voice, and I wanted people to know there's more to this. It was not just a girl that was lost um, in someone's lives. This affected many, many people. On April 13th, 2011, we lost our innocence. Decatur County lost its innocence. People that had never locked their doors before started locking their doors, as they should. This deep, dark world that these people lived in, we didn't know about that world because we didn't live in it. Can you talk about how much helped the community? You still drive through Parsons, you see the signs, you see the ribbons. How much help the community has given the Bobo family and, and all its friends? We could have never, ever asked for any more support and help that we have received than we've received over the last six and a half years. People continued day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You talked about how you took this deal for your family's sake. Can you just explain what that looks like, for you, what going forward looks like? I mean, people have been talking about you all maybe moving. Can you just tell us what you meant by that? 
you going forward. About the death, death penalty appeals because I know that a lot of times in the past, like with Paul Reed and everything, he got in the news every month for 10 years and you had to relive it. I, I was wondering if maybe that was part of it. We have lived a hard life and walk on a, an extremely unimaginable hard road for six and a half years. So I did consider that in our decision for the future in hopes that maybe we can start to rebuild what life we have left. And if there is any joy to be found in life anymore, that we can start finding it. What was last night like for you all after the guilty verdict and, and then came back? What was last night like for you all? I don't really, right now today, I'm really not even sure. Um, what to expect because we didn't realize what families went through, had no idea, and so I, I just don't think anyone can possibly even begin to understand what you go through. So I think that's going to just take a few days because from April 13, 2011, we, we had an a different normalcy and so I don't know how long it'll take us to get back to even somewhat of what we were. What are your feelings towards Zach Adams right now? I'm sorry I'm sorry what are your sir. Towards Zach Adams right now? I think those were clearly ex expressed in my statement. And how really I'm sorry, you really wanted to look at him. What did you see when you looked at him? Absolutely no, no remorse at all. Just the animal he is. Absolutely. You said you saw your husband smile for the first time in six and a half years. Did you smile? I did. I did. I'm hoping that smile can get bigger through the years. Where's the strength coming from in the family to, to stand up here in front of all of us and, and talk about that to, to confront him? Where's the strength coming from? From God above. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Murder on the Map. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us on Apple Podcasts to help more people discover the show. If you liked what you heard and you want to help us bring more victims home, you can become a sponsor of this show. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Thank you to True Crime Society for all of their detailed timelines on this disappearance. It was incredibly helpful in my research. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash murder on the map, and you can follow me on Instagram at selflovequeenx. If you have a case you'd like for me to cover from your state, please email me at taylor at murderonthemap.com. Our theme music was composed by Tim Beak. Find more of his stuff at timbeak.com. Murder on the Map is a radio-free Roscoe production, and I'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Have fun out there, and be careful.